0: This message is brought to you by Mill City Church in Lowell, Massachusetts. For more information, please visit millcitychurch.net. Are we excited about studying God's Word together this morning? Turn to Acts chapter 28. Acts chapter 28. After taking a couple of weeks to focus on Christmas, I'm going to conclude the Acts series that we studied this fall today by looking at a passage from Acts chapter 28. We come to the end of the book of Acts. I want to remind you that what I did this fall was I tried to walk through and and look at highlights from the book of Acts and just look at unexpected principles, unexpected practices from the early church and how that would relate to us as a 21st century church today. And so we're going to skip towards the end now and look at Acts chapter 28, Paul, Paul, has been arrested. He's been arrested for preaching the gospel. But he's under what we would basically call house arrest. And so he's not rotting away in a dirty, old, nasty prison cell. He's probably in a home that he was renting with his own money, but had a Roman soldier, a guard, posted at his watch constantly Uh, to, to watch him, keep an eye on him, and make sure that he didn't go anywhere else. And we see that in Acts chapter 28, verse 16. It says, when he came to Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. And I want to go down now and read verses 17 to the very end of the chapter. And then I'll set us up for how we're going to study this today. So after three days in verse 17... He called together the local leaders of the Jews, and when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. And when they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty, because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar." We know that everywhere it is spoken against just very quickly here. Paul is making it very clear that although he was a Jew of Jews, we've seen that before studying the life of the Paul, that uh, the life of Paul, that although he was very Jewish, that he didn't have a vendetta against the Jews, that he wasn't trying to simply go against his people. And even though he had already experienced persecution, harm and opposition from the people from whom he came, that he wasn't carrying any grudge against them and that it wasn't his goal to just simply abolish his people or to do anything harmful against his people. He was simply preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and trying to show them that this sect, this group called Christians, had come out of the Jewish people and that Jesus Christ was the one whom all of the prophets of Judaism had pointed to. And the Jews, in response to that, were basically saying, look, we who are here in Rome, we don't necessarily have anything against you either. And to our knowledge, no one here has spoken any evil against you. But now that you're here, we really desire to hear from you in your own words, your own mouth, from your own heart, What it is about this gospel that you believe and we want to hear it from your own mouth. So in verse 23, when they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. And from morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said. But others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet. Now, ready yourself, because this is not an encouraging word to those who disbelieved. He says that Isaiah had prophesied about this people. Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull and with their ears they can barely hear and their eyes they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. Now if you were a Jew of Jew and you had received the promises of God And you knew that you were of the people of God. And now you have this one who has come out from you. Tell you that the prophets of old had prophesied against you. When Isaiah wrote this, he was talking about you and your disbelief. That would not have gone over very well. As a matter of fact, from the reading of the text, it's clear that Paul basically offends these people. (laughs) Ha! How could you? And you say that you're from us? You're saying that the scriptures of God, we are the people of God. And you're saying that the scriptures of God was speaking against us? How dare you? We're out of here. We're gone. And then Paul, just to put that spiritual dagger in just a little more deeply, it's been sent to the Gentiles. They'll listen. Listen. You didn't listen, but they will listen. And then verse 30 tells us that he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Let me ask you a question. We've come to the end of the book of Acts. Is this the way that you would think a book as long as Acts is? Is this the way you would think that this book would end? I mean, in writing a story, in writing a history, wouldn't you want it to be a little more climactic than this? Wouldn't you want it to be a little more um, meaningful than this to bring everything to a proper conclusion from all the events that we have read and studied? It it kind of ends on a little bit of a cliffhanger. A little bit, but even more than a cliffhanger, it kind of ends in a disappointing place. I mean, kind of like a lot of the movies or TV shows that we have seen in our lifetime, right? Like in 1980, at the end of season three in Dallas, who shot J.R., right? For those who are a little bit older in the room. Or think about this. Who, will Topanga actually go to Yale or will she marry Corey? And who shot Mr. Burns in The Simpsons? And, and The Empire Strikes Back, is Vader really Luke's father? We have to wait three years to find out, or perhaps a little more current, what is Voldemar going to do with the Elder Wand? <laughs> Might I give a suggestion? Maybe he'll use it to give himself a nose. But anyway, <laughs> in much the same way as many of our movies and TV shows leave us hanging, we're left a little bit hanging here in the book of Acts. I mean, we have questions. What happens to Paul? Does Paul get out of prison does he ever make it to Spain, which was one of his goals? Is he going to die soon? Is he going to live a long and prosperous ministry? What happens here in Rome? Do more Jews end up believing? Is, we just don't know from the book of Acts. It's not just a cliffhanger, but really and truly, you're left going, this is it? Because actually, when you look at Acts chapter 28, if you've been with us during this study this fall... Acts 28 really does not end any differently than maybe Acts 10 or Acts 13 or Acts 14 would have ended. I mean, you kind of get these summary phrases of Paul just stayed in this place and continued to expound the scriptures and teach the gospel, persuading people to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. But why? <clears throat> why would Dr. Luke? This very educated man, why would he end the book of Acts the way in which he does? Well, remember that the book of Acts is actually a follow-up to the gospel of Luke. And that he tells us in, the, in chapter 1 that in the gospel of Luke, he set out to write about what Jesus began to do and teach before he was taken up. And in Acts, in this book, what he's going to do is he's going to chronicle what Jesus continued to do by his spirit through the first century church. Tony Marita says that Luke leaves us with Paul preaching the mighty gospel of the kingdom in Rome. And in choosing to walk away from the story here, Luke masterfully keeps the king, Jesus, not Paul, Not anyone else, the hero of the book of Acts, just like Jesus continues to be the hero of your story and my story today, because here's the reality. The book of Acts doesn't really end. The book of Acts continues and it continues. It continued through the first century, the second century, the 10th century, the 20th century And it's continuing even today in the 21st century. And God continues the book of Acts as the spirit of God works through the church, through his followers, in order to advance Jesus's mission through the highways of human history. And so if you are alive today and you are alive in Jesus Christ and you've been born again by his spirit in response to his gospel, you are continuing the story that was started 2000 years ago. God is continuing to write his mission through your life and through our lives as the church of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus continues the story of Acts today and he will continue the, the story of Acts tomorrow through his people How many stories have we read? How many movies have we watched where it ends on a cliffhanger, but then you actually get to enter into that story and be a part of the very same things that the people whom we were studying had participated in? It's the glorious good news of the gospel today if we're in Jesus. And so how I want to end this study in the book of Acts today is look at some application points for us in this last section of Scripture In Paul's life with these Jewish believers and non-believers. And so five applications for us as the mission of Jesus continues today in the 21st century. Here's one of the first truths that I believe that Paul teaches us. That regardless of your station in life, your season of life, your education level, or how long you've been a Christian, or what your office is in God's church, whether you're a pastor or an elder, whether you're a deacon ministry leader, whether you're a church member, that I believe this first principle is so applicable to each and every one of us from Paul's life. And here it is. Maximize every season in which God places you. Maximize every season in which God places you. When you look at verses 17 through 22 and just setting up this last exchange where Paul meets with these Jewish folks whom he had really come from, and they had come from similar backgrounds from the Jewish faith. He doesn't waste this opportunity. Paul is under house arrest. He was arrested. And although it wasn't as bad as it could have been for him, he gets to be in his own place. He's probably renting a house at this point. He gets to choose where he wants to live, but he doesn't get to choose everywhere he wants to go. And he constantly has to have a Roman soldier at his side, in his house, with him. This isn't the best of circumstances. It's not the worst either, but it's not the best of circumstances. But Paul doesn't resign himself here. He doesn't give up. He doesn't run away. I mean, he could have just said, man, I had a good run. I made some good inroads for the sake of the gospel. I think I've impacted some people positively for the sake of Jesus' mission. But man, now I'm arrested. Now I'm under house arrest. I, I can't really do anything anymore. I'm hindered now. I'm just going to give up. I'm just going to stop. Maybe God will open up some other doors for me down the road. Instead, what Paul does is he maximizes this season. Okay, fine. This is all I can do? Okay, I can't go out among the masses, so I'm going to have the masses come to me. And so his Jewish brethren comes to visit him. If you go over to chapter 28, verse 30, here's what it says. That he lived there two years at his own expense and welcomed all Who came to him and he goes on to say that he was proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with boldness and without hindrance. While he was there, he wrote several letters that we have in our New Testament called the prison epistles. Among those are the books of Ephesians and Colossians and Philemon. And in Colossians chapter four, verses two through six, these verses have so much more application point and meaning for us, knowing from where and when Paul wrote them. He said to the Colossian believers, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Paul wasn't in a spirit of resignation. He wasn't in a spirit of complaining. He was still in a position of proclamation and expanding the mission of God. He didn't want to waste this season that God had put him in. It reminds me of Jeremiah 29, when God's people, Israel, had been taken into captivity and were living in Babylon. And so they're now outside of the promised land. Would have been a perfect opportunity for them to be depressed despondent, and to give themselves up in resignation as they were living in this foreign land among a pagan people. It would have been very easy for them to simply just take themselves up in spiritual arms and just see themselves at war with this pagan people as they were God's faithful living among them. But in Jeremiah 29... And what I believe to be one of the most missional passages in the Old Testament. Here is what God told his people living in captivity in chapter 29, verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and don't decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Friends, what Paul teaches us in Acts chapter 28 and what the Exiles teach us in Jeremiah 29 is that every season to which God has called us and has sovereignly placed us, we are to maximize those months, those years for His glory, for our good, and for the advance of His mission. You may be here today and you're in high school and just thinking, well, when I grow up and become a bona fide adult, that's when I'll start making a difference for Christ's kingdom. But Paul would tell us from Acts 28, don't waste your teenage years. Maximize them for God's glory and his mission. You may be in college now and you don't know what you're going to do after graduation. And you could just be in this perpetual holding pattern and just say, this is the time where I'm supposed to live it up, find myself, and then I'll get serious later. But Paul would teach us from Acts 28 to maximize your single years. For the sake of His glory and for the good of yourself and for the advance of His mission. Whether you are married, whether you are single, whether you have kids or whether you're waiting to get pregnant. Whether you are living in the prime of your adult years or whether you have now retired. Paul would teach us that every season to which God calls us. And in every season where He places us is an opportunity for ministry advance. It's an opportunity for glorifying God. It's an opportunity for advancing his mission. And so we must not find ourselves in any season and just say, this is a time where it's just a holding pattern, where I just waste this time. There's nothing good that can come from it. And I'm just waiting until God turns the page. And then I can really start being on fire for Jesus. It's not what Paul did, even in the midst of prison, even in the midst of house arrest. He maximized those years. For the advance of God's mission. So, number one application point we learn here is maximize every season in which God places you. Second application point, while you're in those seasons, keep teaching the word to others. Keep teaching the word to others. This is what we see, especially in verse 23. Let's just camp out in verse 23 for a few moments. When they had appointed a day for him, So these Jewish people give Paul a day. Like, all right, we're going to show up at your house. We're going to fill it. We're going to bring some some Jewish scones and some tea. And we're going to sit down. We're going to give you the whole day. And we're going to hear you out. And it says, from morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. There are several things here we can learn. Even about the Great Commission, as we live our lives today and we seek to influence those around us, regardless of what season we're living in, what age we are, or where we actually physically live. Number one, Paul would show us to teach the word to others patiently. Teach it patiently. It said from morning till evening, in other words, this was not a drive-by teaching. Paul did not just corner these people and give them a little tract and give them a little nugget of truth and say, now, either believe or disbelieve, but my blood is, your blood is not on my hands. Get out of here. Instead, what he does is he sits down and he patiently teaches them the Word for an entire day. This is very instructive for me. It should be instructive for you as we seek to share the gospel with others as we seek to teach the word to others. We're living in a land and a time where our culture is very biblically illiterate. Now, what some Christians do is they take this posture of defensiveness and this posture of warfare that we're living among a land that is so secular and so ungodly and so unbelieving. Can I just wake us up from that really boneheaded way of thinking about the Christian faith do we recognize that every group of Christians who has ever lived on the face of the planet has lived in a time and among a culture that was ungodly unbelieving and didn't a majority of the people didn't believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ you're not living in any different of a time than any other group of Christians in all of human history So stop victimizing yourself and just taking up arms against people who don't believe. Instead, what we do is we recognize that we live among a people who are biblically illiterate. Just like the people of Paul's day. Just like the people of John Calvin and Martin Luther's day. Just like the people of Jonathan Edwards' day as he walked the same sod here in New England. And what we do is we we walk alongside of people and we patiently teach them the word. We don't just give them nuggets and a little canned gospel presentation, but we actually open the word up with them and we read over a period of time. Just like we raise our children up to understand how to tie their shoes and to feed themselves and to go to the bathroom by themselves and take their own baths. We patiently walk alongside of them so they can grow up and understand how to be a human being. We patiently walk alongside of others. This is why here at Mill City, one of the things that we really challenge you to do is not just share the gospel, but to go and invite people into your life and say, would you read the Bible with me? Can we open up and read the gospel of John? Can we open up and perhaps read the, the book of Genesis or look at the book of Romans and, and hear the, to, the totality of, Of how God has acted and worked among his people. Paul taught the word patiently. He gave them time. He helped them understand what they could not understand on their own. He taught them patiently. He also shows us that he taught it thoroughly. So we are to teach others the word thoroughly. Again, not giving them just those bite-sized nuggets. But we really open the word up. I think this is one of the strengths of doing what Paul did. It says that he expounded the word to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus. Paul tried to teach the whole story. He tried to show them the creation of man, the fall of man. The work of God among his people over centuries, the coming of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the restoration that Jesus brings in writing ship that sin had broken and the ultimate restoration when Jesus comes again in his coming kingdom. He sat down to really expound upon the word and to teach the word thoroughly. This is one of the strengths of sharing the gospel and teaching people this way. One of the things I like to do is I like bringing people into a gospel like the gospel of John or the gospel of Luke. And I want them to read chapter after chapter. I want them to be exposed to Jesus' words, his actions. Let them get large doses of what Jesus taught and did. Oftentimes, we, we view sharing the gospel like one pastor is called a shotgun wedding. It's like we're cornering people. And we're giving them this little gospel presentation. And we're saying, I want you, I'm, I'm challenging you. To renounce everything in your life, every other person in your life and attach yourself through allegiance and loyalty to this man named Jesus, not only for the rest of the days on your life, but for all of eternity. What's your decision going to be? After a five minute presentation. But when we get married. This is not the way we get married. Instead, we actually court someone. We pursue someone. We get to know someone. We build walls of trust with someone. And then a lifelong commitment is made. In a similar fashion, when we teach the word patiently to others, and we teach the word thoroughly to others, and allow people to see and hear Jesus in his own words from the Bible, what we're doing is we're allowing them to get a bigger picture of the one whom they're committing their entire lives to. Paul gives us a great picture of this in Acts chapter 28, as well as several other chapters in the book of Acts as well. We also he should he would show us that we teach the word persuasively. We teach it persuasively. I I love this, that, that he was testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them. We saw this in Acts 17, 18 and 19 when Paul would go in and out of the synagogues, reasoning from the scriptures and persuading them that Jesus was the Christ. I believe if there is any fault that 21st century Western Christians might have, it would be this. We really stink at the art of persuasion. We have taken our evangelistic cues from our world of politics and cultural engagement. And we almost see this as this combative posture of where I'm just throwing out all these biblical phrases and just saying God's word said it. I believe it. That's enough for me. You should do it, too. Or I'm going to see or you're going to see some people in hell one day. That's not what it means to be persuasive. Paul was very bold, yes. He was very articulate, yes. He was very passionate, yes. but He was very persuasive. He sat down and reasoned with people from the Scriptures. That requires love. It requires patience. It requires time. It requires knowing your culture and knowing how people process information and respond to information. So I want to encourage you from Paul's example Learn how to persuade others. Learn how to reason with others. Learn how to have a respectful, reasonable dialogue with other people. Guard yourself from trying to win an argument or trying to best people in your explanations and arguments. Try try to persuade, reason, concede to others some of the wrongs that Christians make. Admit some of your own inhibitions, admit some of your own doubts or some of the ways in which you grappled with the gospel before you believed it. Teach the word persuasively. And lastly, I think what Paul would teach us is that we should teach the word missionally. We should teach the word missionally. In verse 28, after offending them. He didn't try to offend them. He just shared the truth with them. And those who disbelieved left. But then in verse 28, he says, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. And they will listen. And again, the truth that we have heard over and over and over again in our study of the book of Acts is that the gospel of Jesus Christ is not a white gospel. It is not a black gospel. It's not an Hispanic gospel. It's not an ethnic gospel at all. It's a spiritual gospel for every tongue, tribe and nation and ethnicity on earth. And Paul reminds the Jewish people of that even here at the very end of the book of Acts. And so as we're teaching others the word. We can't just gravitate towards those who are most like us. We don't just share with those who look just like us or those who speak our same language. But we go to others and we break down the walls that Humanity builds, and we seek to make the gospel known among every people group. So maximize every season to which God calls you. Keep teaching the word to others, Paul would show us. And third application we learn from this text is to ask God to grow you in spirit filled boldness. Ask God to grow you in spirit filled boldness. When you get to the end of the chapter, In verse 31, it says that he was proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness. Now, oftentimes, we mistaken what this word boldness means. And I've already alluded to this a little bit, but let me me take it just a little bit further with you. Oftentimes, when we read that word bold, we mistaken that to mean brash, to be offensive, to get in people's face. And we know Christians like this, right? I mean, we hear some of them on the news, we see some of them on our Facebook feeds or Instagram feeds, and we we know some of them personally. They're just Christian jerks if we can put it that way. And it's almost like we're making a conscious decision to just mean to be mean and to be jerks about the gospel. That's not what it means to be bold. That's not what it means to be bold for Jesus. Instead, what the New Testament believers would show us is a very different definition of boldness. So we read here that Paul continued to teach about Jesus with all boldness. Go back with me to Acts chapter four, because in Acts chapter four, this is where we really first see boldness among the first century church. Peter and John had been brought before the authorities because they were preaching in the name of Jesus. And so the authorities say, stop preaching in the name of Jesus and it will all go well for you. And so Peter and John very respectfully say, whether it's right for us to listen to you rather than God, you can be the judge of that yourself. But we cannot stop talking about the things That we have seen and heard. And then Peter and John come back to the fold. They come back to the people of faith after being released from the authorities. And here's what we read in verse 29. And they're praying. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed to the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Here's what the New Testament believers would teach us about boldness. Is when you are most uncomfortable. When you are most scared to speak about the things of God. When it might cost you your reputation or may cost you your freedom, you keep being loyal to Jesus. You keep preaching the gospel. You keep telling people about what you've heard and what you've seen. It doesn't mean you're a jerk about it. It doesn't mean that you're getting in people's faces. It means that in the midst of being very fearful and very scared for your own life and your own safety or what may happen to you or to others, you stay loyal to Jesus, and you keep preaching the gospel. Here's what the New Testament believers teach us. You've already heard this in this series, but it's worth repeating. Boldness breeds boldness. Boldness breeds boldness. Fear breeds fear. I remember being in China, probably about ten years ago, and we were, I believe, it's either our probably our second. Uh, Christmas in East Asia that we had done in our ministry. And I remember walking onto a college campus where I knew no one. We had no friends with us from China. We were totally on our own and we had paired up and split up around the city and on campus. And I was with one of our guys who was simply a sophomore in college at that time. And we were praying on campus, looking for opportunities to build relationships trying to get involved with a pickup basketball game, seeing if we could go to lunch with some guys that we had met and to try to bring up um, our faith and to bring up our testimony to see if they would want to come meet with us later in our hotel room or in a restaurant and to continue talking about the things of the gospel. And I remember, I mean, I was probably 27 years old at this time. I had just had a little bit of experience in ministry. And I was here with this sophomore in college. And I remember him looking at me and he said, Man, I really want to do this, but can I just confess to you that I'm really scared and nervous? And I looked at him and I said, Me too. I am too, buddy. Let's do this together, though. Let's go build some friendships and let's see where God would take this. And you know what? We went and did it and we found some friends. And uh, those of you who know me, I'm a baseball guy, but I played basketball and um, it was humbling. um, But... I played basketball for the glory of God and for the sake of the mission of Jesus. And you know what? We built some real relationships. And because of that, there were guys who came to Christmas parties and heard the gospel of Jesus for the first time in their lives. We don't know what God has done with them today, but I know what he did through that trip. Here's what I know. Boldness breeds boldness, but fear breeds fear. Imagine if I had said, I know, bud, I am too. Let's get out of here. But boldness breeds boldness. Disobedience breeds disobedience. If you want to ignore God's mission, think about this. If you start ignoring God's mission, that will breed more ignoring of God's mission. But if you as a Christ follower and disciple maker in our congregation begins taking this mission upon yourself and being a part of the disciple making process, that will breed more disciple makers. Non-missional living breeds more non-missional living, but missional disciple-making breeds more missional disciple-making. And so if you're here today and you're fearful and you're scared and you're nervous about taking those steps of faith and being a part of God's mission, recognize all of us experience that. But do what the first century believers did in Acts 4 and what Paul demonstrates in Acts 28. Ask God and pray for more spirit-filled boldness in your life, to speak up when you're fearful. To to take steps of faith when you want to revert back, ask God to grow you in spirit filled boldness. Number four, remain confident in the power of the gospel. Remain confident in the power of the gospel. The last phrase in Acts chapter 28 and the book of Acts as a whole, says that he was teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Now, it's tempting for us to see that and to say that, well, because he was under house arrest and because he wasn't locked in a prison cell, he had a little bit of freedom to still preach the gospel and and he was able to kind of go around a little bit because he had some flexibility. And we may be right, but I think that would be a partial answer at best. It's more likely... That the phrase without hindrance means that the gospel of Jesus Christ was not fettered regardless of how fettered Paul himself may have been. The word was alive. The word was at work. The gospel was effective even if Paul felt that he was being unaffected in many ways. Now we've already seen this in multiple places in the book of Acts. And we just look at a couple in Acts chapter 6, after the appointing of the of the deacons uh, in Acts 6, verse 7, and the Word of God continued to what? Increase. The word of God is living and active. You turn over to Acts chapter 12 and look at verse 24. But the word of God is increased and multiplied, you end the book, the gospel of Jesus Christ is still going forth without hindrance. You see, this is important for you and for me, because in the 21st century, there are a lot of churches doing a lot of things in the name of Jesus, And I'm not going to critique specific acts or to somehow say that we're better than others. That's not the goal here at all. But here's what I believe we've convinced ourselves of. If we can just be culturally relevant enough, if we just have enough tricks and tools from the stage if we just have the right band, if we just have the right special effects, if we just have the right kids program, if we just have the right moms program, whatever it is, we can convince ourselves that that's how you grow a church. That's how the mission expands. But what Paul shows us, I'm under house arrest. I'm not in the worst of circumstances, but I'm not in the best of circumstances either. But what is it that's continuing to change lives? What is it that's not fettered? What is it that's still living and active regardless of my circumstances? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, as we start a new year, as we go into 2019 as a church, will we remain confident that it's the power of the gospel that it's at work inside of people that will actually bring them to salvation? And the same gospel that was powerful enough to save Paul That was powerful enough to be used in his ministry is the same gospel that's powerful enough to break through the hardness of the most concrete of hearts in your spheres of influence. Do you believe that this gospel is still that powerful? Do you believe that this gospel will still shatter the concrete hearts of human beings today just as it did 2000 years ago? Do you believe that? Then be confident in it. Place your confidence in that. Not your abilities. Not your intellect. Not even all your persuasive arguments, even though we should be persuasive. I have watched. I have watched some of my worst preaching. Have enormous effects in people's lives. And I know from my heart and my mind that when I have even had my best of best days in the pulpit, sometimes it just falls flat. Why is it? It's because it's the gospel of Jesus Christ that is effective in the hearts of people. It's not your abilities. It's not your intellect. It's not our special effects. Remain confident in the power of the gospel and let us heed Paul's Words In 2 Timothy 2, right as he's about to die after his next imprisonment. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. The gospel is alive. The gospel is effective. Remain confident in the power of the gospel. Last application point here and we will be done not only with today's sermon, not only with this series, but also with twenty eighteen last application point from God's word is this. And it would be a great New Year's resolution as we enter into twenty nineteen. Spend yourself for the kingdom until you see the king. Spend yourself for the kingdom until you see the king. We started our time today talking about how Paul did not waste this season, that although he was under house arrest and although he could have played the victim card and he could have resigned himself and said, well, I had a good run with it. Instead, he maximized these years. And we learn in verse 30 that he was there for two whole years. And I love this phrase at his own expense. Let me just ask you a question. In writing this book, is that a detail you would have thought to put in there? I'm not sure that I would have thought about that. Luke felt that that was an important part of the story that needed to be written. That Paul stayed in Rome under house arrest, preaching the kingdom of God at his own expense. Even in the most uncomfortable of situations, or at least not the best of circumstances, Paul continually spent himself for the kingdom. Paul's faith in Jesus cost him something. It cost him his time. It cost him his freedom. It cost him his money, his resources, his emotion. It cost him Parts of his intellect, his his emotional wear and tear, physical wear and tear on his body. Paul spent himself in Second Timothy four. As he's getting ready to die, he said this, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. Paul had a faith in Jesus Christ that cost him much. I wonder today, if you were to examine your heart and your life, is your faith in Jesus, is your walk with Jesus, is it so comfortable and so rudimentary that it doesn't really cost you anything? Perhaps today would be a day where God would cause you to introspectively look in your heart and say, Father, is there more time that I should give? Is there more relational capital that I should invest in those around me for the sake of your mission? Is there a a larger percentage I should be giving of my income for the sake of your mission? Are there more ways that I should be opening up my home, extending a hand of hospitality to welcome people in for the sake of the gospel? Are there more conversations that I should be having Are there more relationships that I should be risking by bringing up spiritual things? You see, if you have a faith in Jesus that's not costing you much, you have to start asking the question, do you have a faith in Jesus that's really radically changing your life? Because the gospel that radically changes your life leverages you to spend yourself For the kingdom. Not just today. Not just for next month. Not just for 2019. But for your life. You see Paul gives us the example. To spend ourselves for the kingdom. Until we see face to face. Eyeball to eyeball. The king. One day. Paul says I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth. There is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. You see, Luke writes you and me in the story, Paul wrote you and me into the story. You see, when we believe the same gospel that Paul preached. When we repent and have faith in Jesus just the way Paul did and just the way Paul preached. When we spend ourselves for the kingdom in this life. Then we see Jesus in the next. We will experience this same promise that Paul himself said that he was about to experience. So this morning, as we close out the sermon, as we close out this series and Acts, as we close out 2018. Will you see this story as one that's to be continued? That it has continued for 2000 years. It's continuing today and by God's grace, it's going to continue tomorrow. And when you look at these five application points Examine your heart and life, measuring your life against Paul's, against these scriptures. And allow God to work inside of you to take you to that next step in your faith in this next year. We're going to make a lot of resolutions probably in the next few weeks. Some of them could be about diet. Some of them might be about exercise, could be about money or relationships. Allow today's sermon Allow today's passage to be a measuring rod, a barometer against perhaps some spiritual resolutions, but not just resolutions, lifestyles that might personify our lives today, in 2019, and for the rest of eternity. I'm going to pray for you, and we'll be done with this part of our worship gathering And then through song and prayer, we're going to reflect upon what God has taught us today. My Father, thank you for examples like Paul, like Silas, like Timothy, like Barnabas. Thank you for intellects like Luke, who used his education and his ability and his resources to preserve a written record for us so that we may know the gospel of Jesus Christ And know the unexpected, upside-down practices of your people 2,000 years ago. Father, renew us today in our understanding of your word. Cause us to reflect upon the fact that what you did 2,000 years ago, you're still doing today. Father, cause us to measure our lives against these early believers. And I pray today that there would be an awakening spiritually to the salvation that you're calling each and every one of us to, but also the mission you are commissioning us to be about. And I pray that whether we're a student, whether we're a nurse, whether we're an engineer, a computer programmer, whether we're a janitor, whether we work with our hands or whether we work with our minds, whether we're married, whether we're single, whether we are parents or whether we are not, whether we're old, whether we're young. Father, I pray that in 2019, that each and every Christ follower in this room would embrace the mission of Jesus and would take action steps in being a part of His mission here in this city, on this campus, in our lives, and that You would do through us what You began 2,000 years ago. And we recognize that it is Jesus Christ, His Spirit, who empowers all of this. And so we pray it in His name. Amen.